Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Please listen carefully. What is communication? The act of taking a thought from my head and putting it into your essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Usually what I have in my head to the outside world draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. I think it's the ability to share your innermost feelings and thoughts with others. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, Episode 67. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, in Philadelphia, the one, the only, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? How is life in Philadelphia? It's good. It was absolutely freezing today. I uh, just returned from a trip yesterday uh, to some extreme cold and wind, so it kind of sucks. It's the Midwest, and in still the Midwest, but just south, I guess, the one, the only, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. How is life in the middle of the bluegrass state? Yeah, the bluegrass state is treating us pretty well. We had frost and snowy coverage this morning, but kind of true to Ohio as well. In the Midwest, it was in the 50s this afternoon, and we were sitting on the porch. Don't you love that? The other day, I like got to work, and it was icy. We had a two-hour delay, and then it was 65 degrees on the way home. Kind of great. Oh, I want to hear how your weeks have been, but I'm going to start off with mine because it is sort of interesting i came home tonight and my son goes dad dad look what i found on tv and i'm like what did you find and he's watching ralph breaks the internet my son has figured out how to order movies on demand and i am now six dollars poorer because of that i'm glad it was only six (laughs) dollars i know and but we have it until friday so i was like i felt less bad saying okay well we'll watch this tomorrow uh it's your bedtime (laughs) And you've now learned how to rent a movie. I love that he was super proud of himself, though. I know. And, like, I had to tell him, I was like, buddy, you can't do that. And he was all sad. And I was like, well, buddy, I could have bought you two packs of Pokemon cards for the price of one Wreck-It Ralph rental. And then instantly he almost cried because he's like, I want the Pokemon cards. I was like, see, this is what you wrote. You live in this now. But, uh, no, besides that... Uh, I did my sectionals coaching last week. I got districts coming up this week for high school bowling and then hopefully states after that. Uh, looked at my IEPs. I've only got 30, no, 28 left this year and only 12 ETRs left between now and the end of the year without any bonus surprise ETRs. So This is the home stretch for all you school SLPs out there. I am living the dream and starting next year, I'll only be one day a week in the schools. So hopefully I have a ton less ETRs and IEPs during the year. 
Do you do One. summer? Do you do summer school at all? No, I do home health care, so I'll work with adults during the summertime. So one one day a week at the schools, huh? Mm-hmm. I had to make the change. Um, long story short, uh, home care pays slightly better than the schools, and the hours are your own. So it's kind of like I own run a private practice without any of the overhead. Okay. And somebody else gets the patients, and I just schedule them. So it's like the best of private practice without any of the headache. So are you a contractor? Uh, no, no, I actually am hired through the three different home care companies. Wow. So, nice. Look at you. Yeah. Man. Impressive. I know they take out my taxes. I'll have insurance. There you go. You're a the hot, one place gives me a, hot a free commodity. hot meal. <laughs> one place has a free hot meal and a membership to the gym that's attached to the senior facility, which a little weirded out by, but I'll make do. Is Every, it a H O T T hot meal? Yeah. Every <laughs> meal is a hot meal. I try. I try. Michelle, how is life in Kentucky? What have you got been going on this past week? Well, I have an almost crawler, but he has, James has taken it. Instead of crawling forward, he ends up crawling a couple inches backwards. And his latest trick, which is a lot more effort than crawling, is he'll flip on his back, flail his feet till he moves forward a few inches and then flip back on his stomach and repeat it until he gets to what he wants. Oh, solid. That so, is it's good problem that is good. solving. Um, that is and good. look what came in the mail. You've got a license. In the state of Kentucky. Not Congratulations. just that I have is that uh, already in a frame? It is because I just put it over top of my Texas license. <laughs> that was <in> a frame. <laughs> that's very impressive. Very so there are stacked multiple licenses in this frame. <laughs> Well done. My Ohio license just came in the other day and my wife goes, do you want me to pitch this? This feels like a re And I was like, no, that's the new one. Don't throw that one away. <laughs> do you want me to pitch this? Please don't. Yeah. Michael, uh, what is going on? Tell us something good that's been happening to you this week. Uh, well, I just returned from uh, Colorado yesterday. Where in uh, Colorado? <laughs> I was in uh, Breckenridge and Denver. Oh, I miss Colorado so much. Yes, it's an awesome, awesome place. Uh, so I was there, did some some work over there, and also got to ski a little bit, which was nice. Uh, and now I'm back in Philly, back in the swing of things, uh, getting everything prepared for the, you know, still working on that final stretch uh, of the research study. I've uh, been meeting with some incredible people out here, you know, in some of the free time I've had, doing a lot of networking with some amazing people from all the different private schools out here and other uh, special needs advocates. So, yeah, just, uh, just keeping on. Now, can you share the thing we talked about off air, or is that a still hush-hush thing for a little bit? The thing we talked about off the air. It's about very About a potential hush -hush. thing <laughs> <We don't... laughs> happening later in the year with a lot of people oh, watching. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, am, I got an email recently uh, for the ASHA convention for a call to papers. Nice. Uh, so I am definitely going to do that and submit my the information for my research study, and hopefully they accept it, even though it's not completed yet. So I'll definitely make it as detailed and as good of a submission as possible. But if I'm able to present it actually next year, I'd be a, a happy man. You should just say, listen to the podcast, and we'll tell you all the details you need to know. Exactly. So I'll, <laughs> I'll do the presentation podcast style. 
That would be fun. That I'll, would actually be a lot of fun. I'll just show up with headphones and just ramble. Well, we, want, <laughs> we have room for you on the show. So head over to our website, new website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And from there, you can find all of our back episodes. You can also give us a call at 614-681-1798 or email us at speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. That's a new email that kind of matches up with our website. And I would be remiss not to mention that we are also proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. Uh, so make sure you check out the other podcasts, uh, Exceptional Leaders and also Talking With Tech, uh, who we've got a big surprise coming up with on March 31st. That's all I can say, but it's going around. We'll tell you more later. Coming up on this episode, we're going to be interviewing, or I sat down with Craig Coleman. He talks a little bit about running for vice president uh, uh, for planning. He mentions a little bit about ABA encroachment, uh, finding a way to raise salaries for SLPs, and also uh, getting the message out uh, about what ASHA does. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a breakthrough discovery helping, quote, mute children talk. Also a breakthrough in apraxia. But first, I want to start off with this topic coming out of PBS.org uh, and Nova. They're talking about people with disabilities using AI to improve their lives. We always fight to get our kids uh, AAC or tech. I think this is kind of a cool idea, trying to figure out a way to match AI with our students that need it the most. Exactly, yeah. So... I'm sure a lot of us know many people out there, if not themselves, with you know the, the newest iPhone or the newest technology that's out there. And we're always amazed ourselves at how technology is improving our lives, whether it's Amazon Alexa or some sort of something new from Google. And it's so great to see that as technology improves for all of us, it's also improving for people with disabilities. And you read this article and you see some of the examples of what's being created in terms of uh, their ability to communicate, interact, play games, play Xbox. It's really incredible how there, there's obviously some incredibly, incredibly bright and intelligent people out there that are devoting their lives and their careers to helping people with disabilities, just just to help them interact with technology. So it's a beautiful thing to see. My One favorite quote in this article <laughs> I just have to share is from... Jenny Leiflery, the chief accessibility officer at Microsoft, and they stated in the article that she herself is deaf. And she was talking about, interviewed and talking about the technology that they're coming up with um, for people with disabilities. And her quote was, it's stupidly exciting for disability, honestly. And nice. nice. I, I, I just was talking to my intern about this today, that not that there's ever a good time or a bad time to, to have a disability, but we have hit such a, a unique time in society where technology is able to bridge the gap for a lot of the students or the adults that we work with. When you look at, you know, 60 years ago, the a person with an amputation didn't have all a lot of choices for, for an arm or a leg. And now we've got running blades. We've got hands that can artificially pick things up. When we look at our communication devices, you know, 60 years ago, it was very limited. Now we've got a plethora on the market that we have to fight and say, don't use these, use this one. Cause this one's better for you. 
Um, one of the, the apps or one of the services was talked about was a thing called Voice It. Um, it is a speech recognition for non-standardized speech. And we'll play a quick clip right here. I want to be a firefighter when I grow up. My mom says it's too dangerous, but I think it's only dangerous if there is a fire. I was born 12 weeks before my expected birth date. Is 1.9 pounds heavy or light? I want to speak, but the words remain inside me. People just don't understand me. My name is Ray. I'm five years old, and tomorrow I will start speaking freely. We love you. I love you. So that's pretty cool. It is a the, the first part was obviously oh, you're like make us all cry, man. Oh, there's the that tears. Was that was insane. That's the best video I've ever seen in my life. You need a see, link to that video, please. See, I am I'm not crying because I've I'm already dead on the inside and I've watched it multiple times. But no, it is pretty cool that like just that app is it can take the the student at the end was the one that was that was speaking. The beginning part was just kind of like the the voiceover, so that wasn't the app. But like we're at such a unique point where how many times have we worked with a kid where we've become the familiar listener and we've we're the trained listener and we can understand them, but their parents look at us and say, what's he saying? And you're like, I just wish you could hear it. Like I do. There's like an app for it. And then it's and not just that it's, Oh, this is such a cool thing. Think about your, your home health patients post stroke or with dysarthria, this could be life changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love this kind of stuff. I just, there's like an app to, to read sign language. I was just reading a thing the other day about uh, this guy's trying to create a way that their gloves you wear that will read or speak the sign language out loud. Uh, it's such a cool thing. And I hate to be the party pooper. And I'm going to ask this question. As technology progresses so fast, like, so fast, does it need to have the brakes pumped because we run the risk of when we look at AI or we run into an app such as the, the voice it, which is awesome that it, it kind of puts in the question who's making the message. And I hate to say that, and I hate to be that person, but it's when we look at it from the speech therapy side, it's a voice diction app. It's going to try to understand what the person is saying. It's going to put in a lot of algorithms. I, one, I, I mean, fear that I this could see replace it in speech action, therapy. And right. I think as speech pathologists, we know and we have to continue to train families on that of you're looking for that communicative intent and you're looking for their initiation of it, not doing it for them. I'm such a party pooper. I apologize. But but you you make us think and you make us talk about it. And that's what we're here for, Matt. That is a very important thing to think about it because because you can think, what is this, like a high-tech version of facilitated communication? Something <laughs> like that, or RPM, there you go. But it, it's true. It, like, these are possibilities. These are, these are things you do have to think about. Because what happens if it's in an academic setting and the, a child's, you think they're answering a question correctly or incorrectly, and you don't know? Mm -hmm. 
or it's you know or socially when they're trying to interact with one person or another it's it's a very fine line so but based on that video alone I'm all about <laughs> I'm all about it and and I don't mean to 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 rain on the parade I just I'm just bringing it back I apologize Michelle Oh I was just thinking make sure for anyone listening that you click on and open this article because I right now, and I need to just save them for later. I'm clicking on all the links they have to all these really cool apps and devices yeah. that are worth, worth seeing what's out there. Uh, I like, uh, there was one, it's called the who box wheelie. Uh, it's a machine that maps the face of the user and they can do different faces to make the, the wheelchair do different things. So if you want it to go forward, maybe you wink or do the other eye or snarl. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of up to you. And I think these are great additions to otherwise a built-in therapy schedule. Uh, just, I guess my fear is that in the wrong hands, this could be giving false hope to, to too many people. I think well, we always have to be careful with technology and especially when something comes out and appears to be too good to be true is we need to look, look into it. True. And we need people to research it. We need those graduate students and PhD students to, to do the research, to give us the evidence to back these things. And uh, yeah, it's, it's normal. We want to ask questions, right? That's part True. of our job. And on the positive side of things, I think this is further proof that this is a real exciting time to be a speech pathologist with all this, this new increase in technology. This is, these are things that I can't wait to play with, share, master, and, and help bring it into a family's life. I think this is, this is incredible. I think technology is, is something that can truly benefit us and make us even more important. I, I feel like we, we have technology so much in our lives that we take for granted. Like the other day I was just messing with my phone uh, because I got a, an article that was in German and I just kind of quickly opened Google translate to just kind of scan through the article, get the gist of what was going on uh, before trying to find it in English. And it's just like, if we can do that as able-bodied it, you're right. I mean, this area that we're about to, to go into in the next couple of years, it, it's just amazing. But I still will rain down on the parade. So if you think I'm raining down too hard, head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com and email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798. You can also hashtag us on Twitter, uh, hashtag speech science. And Michelle, did you ever get the Instagram working? No, that password didn't work, Matt. (laughs) Okay, so I need to figure out how to reset the password because I have it on my phone and I could check Instagram. And I'm trying I will show... to be an influencer here with speech science, and I can't without the password. <laughs> See, we're on, we're on it. I just don't know how to get it from there, my phone uh, to your phone. So, so we'll keep working on that. Say the password. Say the password on the air. <laughs> and see who can figure it out Someone if you know the Instagram password to speech science, please email us. That's hilarious. So I apologize, Michelle. I don't know the Instagram password, but we'll get it to you. The next article coming up, uh, wonderful breakthrough in speech science. And this one actually has real therapy or actually real research behind it. Uh, This is coming out of medicalexpress.com and it is from the Murdoch Children's Research 
uh, Institute. Uh, they believe they have found on MRI the underlying cause uh, or one of the potential underlying causes uh, of speech apraxia. Yeah, so the paper states that uh, basically all the research showed from extensive MRI testing was the dorsal language stream anomalies in this inherited speech disorder. Uh, and I believe it was normal MRI scans found no anomalies, but they used a sophisticated scan um, that showed that showed something in the dorsal. What, what was it again? Uh, I believe it was just a, I, I'm clicking over to read the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Uh, it was, whoop, I'm on the wrong page. I had to look up what a brain tractography is. It's basically it's basically they identified irregularities in a core brain pathway. Yes. So that's so that's really what it is. So so the MRIs showed a very distinctive irregularity of a of a core brain pathway, which is kind of vague, but it uh it it showed this similarity with all these children who are diagnosed yeah and I, so, so uh, in neuroscience it's the definition i just looked up a tractography which is what they said this special mri did a more in-depth mri is a 3d modeling technique used to visually represent nerve tracks oh. in a diffusion mri so i think okay. it's interesting I, I love the brain this is one of the reasons i love our field because when we think of language and we think of memory and we think of cognition, we automatically think of something like a filing system or a computer where it just kind of stores everything away. And in reality, it's really just a series of electrical charges and chemical releases going from one end of a microscopic thing to the other end of another microscopic thing, which causes it to be charged or not charged and send a pulse. And I love that. And I just love how intricate and delicate and crazy all that is. And I find it interesting that a study like this, or at least research like this, shows that there may be a physical reason, maybe, potential. There's a lot of research that needs to come out to, to see the impact on this. But it reminds me similar to when they looked at blood flow with fluency and how there may be a decrease in blood flow with fluency. And this kind of changes, you know, this could change the way you look at therapy. If it's a true blood loss flow in fluency, there's not a real lot of ways that you can increase blood flow through therapy. If it is a abnormal pathway, it, it makes you almost want to teach it compensatory strategies versus improvement. Well, there's a hell of a lot of research out there that shows the benefit of speech mm -hmm. therapy oh. to improve apraxia. I'm not saying that it does, so, but I'm just... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I I know your point, man. <laughs> I, I think maybe I mis misstated, but I'm talking more about how, you know, internally as a clinician, mm -hmm. it, it kind of changes that attitude that you have, where you go, oh, maybe I, you know, going from fixing this completely to controlling the factors that impact it. I guess maybe that's the way I should have worded that. Yeah, of course. I and pretty much what you were saying was based on this article. Uh, it really sheds a certain light mm -hmm. on, on what we do. And I think the more research that is done on these specific speech pathology disorders and things like apraxia, we talked last week about Ronda Rousey, someone who, who, has the, who has apraxia of speech. And now 
further scientific testing with MRIs being done to, to show this. And these are the kind of articles that are getting in the hands of parents. Mm-hmm. They're not getting ASHA emails like we do every day. Right. So these are the kind of, these are, these are what parents are reading. So a parent who finds out or a recently diagnosed parent or uh, of a child with apraxia is going to Google apraxia and find an, an article like this. So it's really up to us to describe it in more layman's term to them and describe what the treatment plan is, what the treatment plan is, what the protocol is, and what to expect and what, what we can do for them and what apraxia really is and what it presents with and, and how you can work with them and help to help them improve this issue. And also, I think, directing them to kind of guiding that Google search a little bit, yep. right? <laughs> Giving them exactly. websites they can go to that we know have really good information on that disorder and on that diagnosis. And if the Murdoch Children's Research Institute does not sound familiar to you, unless you're one of our friends uh, in Australia, uh, it's because it is out of, uh, Vic- uh, I'm sorry, Victoria, Australia. It's with the University of Melbourne. Um, and it was the originally, it was the Royal Children's Hospital up until 1986 uh, when Rupert Murdoch uh, donated $5 million to the Birth Defects Research Institute. Uh, and they renamed it the Murdoch Institute of Research. Nice. So good money funding something hopefully good and we'll keep an eye on that now we want to hear from you head over to our website speechsciencepodcast.com you can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798 and while you're on xpn check out all the other podcasts now for something completely different a brand new miraculous recovery from a child a mute child with autism all thanks to the name of protocol or not what do you guys think this is coming out of the ntd i had never heard of this protocol until this the article but just like mike said if you're going to google something as a parent of a child this is probably going to pop up Exactly. This is really, this plays so well to the article I just spoke about. Uh, the, the previous article being actual scientific research that parents will get their hands on and, you know, try to learn more about something. And this is a very, very interesting article. And this is another thing that we have to deal with as speech pathologists is things like this coming out and you have a parent of a recently diagnosed child with autism and they learn about this this protocol that this Namashek protocol that supposedly is able to get rid of all autism symptoms and parents are going to read this and want to want to know more and want to know more what we can do to to help them with this so this is the same thing I, I always revert it back to fluency because fluency is the number one from my experience fluency is the number one thing with all the quackery out there this will solve your fluency. This will decrease yep. your stuttering. And this is right here along the lines of this, this Namashek protocol. Like what, what, what the hell is this thing? It is a quote, step-by-step guide, which includes a simple diet of supplements to restore neurological function for sufferers of developmental disorders and autism. What are these supplements? Like vitamins. I mean, I figured oh, that, okay. but I want to know what they are. <laughs> 
I guess rhetorical question. Sorry. I want to know what they are. Uh, like, <laughs> basically, uh, this is they say that bacteria. This is coming right off the website. Bacterial overgrowth occurs when large numbers of bacterial that predominantly live in the colon migrate upwards and increase the number of bacteria within the small intestine by 10,000 to 100,000 fold. This added bacterial load in the small intestine has two consequences that contribute to autism. First, the bacteria often tend to be a type of clodestrium species, which can produce propionic acid in massive amounts, blah, blah, blah. Secondly, the increased concentration of bacteria within the small intestine causes leakage of pieces of bacteria into the large concentration of immune cells that surround the small intestine and triggers the inflammatory reaction referred to as leaky gut. So there you go. If you've kind of heard the term leaky gut in, in autism circles, this is kind of what their supplements, quote unquote, are, are getting rid of. I am sending this article right now to my friend who's a pediatric dietitian because I want to know her take on on these supplements. That is the perfect person to send this article to. We should have probably had that person on air. I would love to hear. (laughs) Yes. Ask her if we can uh, uh, share that. What she says. I, I will. I will ask her. I will. I'm sure she'll write me back, and I'll even see if she'll come on air. Why not? But okay. So you were asking <laughs> about what the the quote unquote supplements are, and they say the no, the name check protocol for autism uses a prebiotic fiber called inulin to reverse and control bacterial overgrowth. It includes high doses of omega three fatty acids to normalize micro microglial function and normalize the inflammatory state within the brain. Uh, They have you cook with domestic extra virgin olive oil to reduce brain inflammation. Um, Let's see. Also, the natural fiber is found in onions, garlic, and artichokes, agave, chicory root, and many other plants. Um, Quick question. When they say domestic olive oil, what country is this in again? The U.S. This is in the U.S.? Yeah, Dr. Namashek is uh, from, I just had it and I lost it. What if I like my Italian olive oil, all right? (laughs) Uh, He got his, he was a uh, doctor of osteopathic medicine from the University of Health Sciences in Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, boy. Right? DOs are great people. He is is giving it a bad, uh, bad, bad rep. Um but so yeah, so it just I, I hate this kind of stuff because you're right, Michael. Like these are the articles that get into people's hands. We have so many parents. I'm a parent. I have a five year old and a two year old. And there is nothing more scary than the what if scenario. And my my two year old, when he was born, had uh not a major medical situation, but it was a medical situation that we had to address pretty early on in his life. And I would have done anything. I was so angry at the doctor for telling us. I was angry at myself. I was angry at my wife. I was angry at everything. You go, you know, did this happen because you ate too much whatever? Or is it because I didn't have the house at the right temp? Like you look for anything. And I and and that was my my two-year-old is other than being a quote unquote little bit of a late talker and now he won't stop. He, he turned out okay. He turned out fine. There was no neurological or nothing, did anything happened. But when you look at things that we would classify as parents as maybe not okay, and we have a hard time coming to grasp with it, we look for anything 
to grab onto. And, and these articles I feel do more damage to our field than anything else. Yeah. I think you just described it perfectly, Matt, because there, there is nothing on this earth that can substitute what a parent would do for a child in need. And the way you just described it was, was, was so incredibly genuine was when emotions are running high, all you want to do is just point fingers and do whatever you can to make mm-hmm. it go away as fast as possible. So all, all rationality goes out the window when emotions are running that high and you're going to reach for the first thing that falls into your lap. And you're going to find something like this that offers a cure for things that don't seem like it's going to be hurtful. Olive oil and probiotics is not going to make you sick. But to promise some sort of cure to me is ridiculous. And this is, Matt said it perfectly. It's, a, it's very, very bad for our field that this stuff gets out there. And it's bad for the families. It's bad for, it's bad for the children. It's, this is not good for anybody. It's dangerous. Very dangerous. The quick fix stuff is what scares me because just like you said, when your emotions running high and especially when it's your own kid, you're, you're going to grasp on to whatever could be a solution. Even if rationally there's red flags. I like to, to laugh at Jenny McCarthy because she pushed the, the autism caused by vaccines but deep down as a parent, I, I, I'm not laughing at her because like I can see how she wanted to find a reason for her son having autism. Yeah. And, and yeah. I get it. it. It's doctors like this guy or it's the doctor who made up the research for vaccines to sell his own vaccine. Those are the dudes that I'm more angry with than than the Jenny McCarthy's of the world, because they're doing what they think is best and they're just trying to help other parents because it's all that emotional part. So I don't know. I've also told my wife that if someone were to murder her, I would say, Oh, I am so sorry. I'll raise the kids and we'll put that person in jail. But if someone were to murder one of my children, their whole family would be killed. So I get it from the emotional side. Mike, I feel like you're reading something right now because you look very concerned. I'm looking at the Facebook page for the kid who this article is about. Oh. It's called uh, Killians, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. C-I-L-L-I-A-N-S. Yeah, I think it's a Celtic name. Yeah, Killians. There's a link to it in the article. If you go to the article on the bottom. Yeah, maybe it's Cillians. I think it's Killian because he's in Ireland. Oh, is he? Yeah. So there's a Facebook page about him. And it, it's just the mom just blessing the protocol. And you know what? Maybe from a from a scientific point of view, maybe maybe he didn't maybe he wasn't uh completely nonverbal. Maybe he was, maybe something happened along the line where we saw the natural explosion of languages happen a little bit later. I mean, my, Mm -hmm. my two-year-old, I use my own kids as an example. My two-year-old didn't speak for the first year and a half a year and 10 months of his life and barely said one word. And it was like always after somebody else modeled it for him. And then all of a sudden overnight he was, comes down and says a bunch of words. Yeah. And I mean, I'm thrilled that this kid is, is doing better and showing huge language growth. I just have major doubts about it being attributed to these supplements. Right. 
Oh, of course, they're going to play a song under it, so we can't even use the video. Oh, here we go. Oh, nope, can't use the video. That is Pharrell and Happy underneath of it. But this is the... Ugh, can't use any of that video. Shucks. Shucks. If you click on, if you click on that name on the bottom, like right on the video, it says Tony McCain. Yeah. Yeah, click on that and then click on Killian's Conquest and you'll see about the kid. Yeah, I'm I'm all for him doing well. I think it's I think it's fantastic, and I think it's great. The mom is sharing information and doing all she can to benefit her her kid. But obviously, some serious research needs to be done here. True. From the clinician standpoint, well, we want to know your thought process. Has the Nemeshek protocol come your way through your private practice or through the schools, or or what other? new and unique therapy blends are come through your way. We want to know from it. So head over to our website, speech science podcast.com and give us a phone call 614-681-1798 or email us speech science podcast at gmail.com. I'm super excited because we've got someone in the interview room this week. It is Craig Coleman uh, coming live. Well, sort of live. Uh, from the neighboring state here in Ohio. Um, And he will be right up right after this. This podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the company behind the self, GFTA, and the brand new PPVT5 and EVT3. These new easy-to-use vocabulary assessments are brief and reliable for two years, six months old, to those 90 and beyond. Learn more about these new tests at pearsonclinical.com slash exceptional. That's pearsonclinical.com slash X-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-A-L. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot. I am excited to be joined today uh, by Craig Coleman. He's an ASHA fellow, board certified specialist in stuttering and the associate professor at Marshall University. And coming back on the show the second time, uh, this time running for another ASHA position, correct? Yeah, this time I'm running for uh, vice president of planning. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Um, So, you know, one of the things that really interests me about the vice president of planning position is that it's really the the board position that uh, oversees the strategic plan. And, um, and also works a lot with uh, building international relations. And those are two areas that I have a real strong interest in, especially the strategic plan aspect of it, because you know, I think identifying the issues and, and trying to work on solving some of them that, that face the profession over the next uh, five to seven years is, is really kind of an exciting thing to, to look at. And, uh, and also, I, I really am enjoying um, over the last month or so of kind of, you know, discussing issues with ASHA members and kind of getting a feel for what everybody is experiencing in terms of of their needs and uh, what issues we're facing. And so I think it's an important position. What do you see? um, We're going to get more into the elections in just a moment, but what do you see as the number one issue currently for, for both speech pass and then maybe audiologists as well? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think that there's a lot of different issues you can point to, but to me, a lot of them come back to the same thing, which is a lot of people still just don't know what we do. 
And uh, our scope of practice is so large, and I think that's a good thing sometimes. But the bad thing is that, uh, number one, people can hop on board and, and encroach in different places around the edges, and, and we may not pick up on that as quickly because the scope of practice is so big. Um, and I think that the other thing is that it, it, the, the public and the consumers have a very difficult time sometimes understanding exactly what it is we do. And that leads to difficulty with reimbursement. It leads to encroachment issues. It leads to, um, you know, let's be honest, salaries maybe not being what they should be um, and, and things like that. So I, I think there's a lot of issues we could talk about. I think a lot of them come back to that same thing, though, is that we are not very good at promoting ourselves. I, I read an interesting, I'm on a lot of Facebook pages for speech therapy, probably more than I should. I probably should get rid of a lot of them and just use speech or use Facebook to look at photos of my friends. But <laughs> one of the posts I noticed, it said that with speech paths, we're in demand, yeah. yet our salaries don't match that demand. How can ASHA help with that? And then is that, because sometimes for me, I feel like, that's a us issue on the front line versus a national issue. And some people say, no, that's a national issue. How does ASHA factor into something like that? Well, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with how, how do you go about solving supply and demand issues and, and addressing them? I mean, you know, because you're right, we've been in demand for a number of years and there, you know, you've heard about shortages, but certainly the, the salaries have not increased the way a profession should when they're in such demand. And I, and I think part of that is, you know, we are always kind of playing around with using support personnel and how we're going to go about using support personnel. And, you know, we're trying to solve issues that way. And we're talking about, um, you know, not having enough people in one sense, but then we continue to expand the scope of practice in the next sense. And, you know, I, I think we have a bit of a, of a problem in that we, we, we've gotten so large right now as, as professions in audiology and speech language pathology. I think ASHA has something somewhere close to 200,000 members now. And that's almost doubled since I got into the, the professions. And that was 19 years ago in, in 2000. So, I mean, that's a very short time to increase that much. And, um, so, you know, I, I think part of the issue is going back and looking at, are we, is historically the model we've had for training, um, promotion of the field, um, meeting supply and demand issues, is that working for us still with, with the numbers that we have now? And, you know, what can we look at in, in terms of our role moving forward? And, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about this issue of working at the top of your license, right? And so, you know, that, that term basically means that you're not doing the things that, you know, maybe somebody who, who is a support personnel or an SLP assistant can do, but you're doing things that only a licensed and certified professional can do. Now, I think that's, that all that discussion is really good, but I also think that, that if we're gonna promote that, which I hear ASHA promoting a lot, I think we have to specify for the public what that means, because there's a lot of people in our profession who don't know what that means, and, and <laughs> rightfully so. Um, so I, I think like when, when you're going to promote that to employers, for example, or you know to to the public, and you say, well, we're going to work at the top of our license, you, you're going to get a lot of 
quizzical looks of, of what exactly that means. And so I think working at the top of the license is good, but I also think there needs to be discussion on when you're working at the top of the license, that means you should be getting improved reimbursement. That means you should be getting improved salary. That means you should be getting improved working conditions because you are working at the top of your license. You're a board certified specialist in stuttering. Uh, right. I just saw, I believe it's SIG, SIG 12, that they're looking at the introduction of the board certified uh, AAC specialist or specialist in AAC. Um, we're actually going to be doing a live show on March 31st, uh, co-sponsored with Talking With Tech, uh, talking to Chris Bagaji and Rachel uh, Madel about that. There's a lot of opinions about is that good or is that bad? Yeah. In our field, should we be looking at more of those board certified specialists or do we look at moving the SLP from the masters to the, to the PhD? You know, it's a really interesting question. I, I think it's, it's going to be a really difficult transition in speech language pathology to move from a master's requirement to a clinical doctorate and um, like audiology did because our work settings are so different. You know, in, in speech language pathology, you have about 55% of SLPs that work in the public schools. And that's a tough sell to get departments of education to say that they're going to be on board with requiring a clinical doctorate because it's, it's tough to get a lot of them to stay on board with requiring a master's degree. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't see that move um, happening anytime soon, to be quite honest. And, and I think that we have to look instead about how we can be creative with that. And I think the board certification is a way to do that. Um, you know, now I, I do think we have to be a little bit more mindful with the board certification of, of what it means. And again, helping the consumer and the public see what it, what it is it, you know, because somebody can call themselves, for example, a stuttering specialist without being board certified. And, you know, that, that's a problem. I mean, you know, so if, if you're going to create these things, you have to put some teeth behind it, number one. And number two, you have to have public awareness campaigns that promote the, the certification. Because, you know, I'll give you an example. In stuttering, when they first started this program in stuttering, I think it was, it was right when I was coming into the field. I think it was in the year 2000, 2001. They grandfathered 300 specialists in just so they could be the mentors. Um, 19 years later, we currently have 156 board certified stuttering specialists. So the numbers have decreased significantly because the number of people going out has far exceeded the number of people coming in. Now, do you think, I'm not board certified in anything yet. I'm looking at a couple areas that I would like to pursue more just for personal growth. Sure. But do, do you feel that it looks at, or it creates more of a opportunity or a blockage because I look at it as for me if I want to prove that I'm really good working with dysphagia and home care I need mm -hmm. to really look at that board certified in, in dysphagia right but you know the part of me also feels like is that a block that if, am I going to get held back from a job because I don't have that that am I making myself clear or am I so you, are you asking like if you, if you don't if you don't get it will that prevent you from getting certain jobs? Yes. And is that what's going to happen with AAC? Have you seen that with stuttering or, or not? 
No, and I think the reason why, but I'm not sure that applies to every area because um, you have so few people who are interested in stuttering. And I don't know why that is because I feel like everybody should be interested in it. But um, there, there's not a ton of people of SLPs who are interested in specializing in stuttering. But um, I haven't seen it be a block. I, I'll tell you where I feel like it could be really helpful. Uh, number one is if you go into private practice, obviously, because you can use it as a way to promote your practice. And people feel better about seeing someone who has a specialist certification than somebody who doesn't. Um, so you get a lot of referrals that way. Um, number two, I do think if you ever see yourself wanting to teach at a university, that's another mechanism for you to be able to do it because I think a lot of people might look at that if you're looking to teach a certain class as a little bit higher even than, than a clinical doctorate that's more, uh, maybe a little bit more generalized than a, um, a board spe specialist area where you can justify hey, I should be teaching this class in this one area because I'm board certified in that area. That makes sense. So one of the issues with that I saw Asha is working on, and it affects one of our co-hosts, Michelle uh, Wintering. Mm -hmm. uh, she's worked in Denver. I always goof it up. I think it was Texas. It might have been New Mexico or Arizona. She yells at me every time. Currently, she's in Kentucky. They're looking at that interstate licensure. Mm-hmm. What is the long-term plan for that? Is there something that will look at a 50-state licensure, or is it really going to be more of these small cluster of states near each other? Or still well, in the air? <laughs> I think that I think it's still up in the air. I think Ash's vision, from what I know, is um, trying to create a national license eventually. And um, I, I do think, honestly, that's the way to go, and, and really what we need to advocate for, um, because number one it would create a mechanism where the certification means a lot more than it does right now. Um, you know, because let's be honest, certification is great. The licensure gives you a lot more power in, in terms of law. True. And, um, you, you know, I think part of the issue that we have a lot of times with a lot of these encroachment issues comes back to the fact that depending on how a state law is written or interpreted, or what the politics look like at the state level, um, that gets very heavily influenced in licensure law. And somebody shouldn't be able to do, you know, an ABA therapist shouldn't be able oh. to do speech therapy in one state just because the law is weak in that state. That should be a national standard that, that ABA therapists should not be able to do speech and language therapy. And, you know, I, I think that, that that's another reason why we need it. And I think, I think teletherapy is, is really a push for that, too. You know, right now, if you're doing teletherapy, you have to be licensed in the state that you sit in and the state the patient sits in. And let's be honest, if we're, if we're saying that we want to improve our access to professionals and improve access to, to specialists in particular, that's still pretty restrictive. I mean, I live here in Cincinnati. I am 45 minutes from the Indiana border. I am 35 wow. minutes from the Kentucky border. And I cannot look at jobs in either of those states because I, I mean, I could, I, I just have to go through the licensure process. But right. I, I, I have, I, we were talking off air. I have a five-year-old. I have a two-year-old. I coach high school bowling. I do home care. I don't have time to go through 
the rigmarole of, of applying for another out-of-state licensure just to apply for a job. Well, you know, it, yeah, I, I, it, it's true. I mean, like, you know, Marshall University, we sit like pretty much five minutes from the Ohio border and five minutes from the Kentucky border <laughs> in West Virginia. Um, so, I mean, it's the same kind of situation. I mean, you know, you, you can go out and we can try to get contracts with some of these other places, but the, the licensure becomes a little bit restrictive to do that, number one. And I do some teletherapy, and, and I'll tell you, some of the, the hoops that you have to jump through for some of the states is ridiculous. I mean, I, I won't say which state it is, but I, I looked at it one state about five years ago because I had a kid who was interested in seeing me in teletherapy, and the parents contacted me, and you know, you had to go through, I had to go through this online infection control training and HIV, <laughs> all very difficult to spread over the internet, right? Right. And so, you know, it, it was like, nah, I don't, I'm not really into spending, you know, 12 hours and doing this stuff <laughs> to work with, uh, you know, one kid. And, uh, you know, you feel bad about that, but there, there needs to be a little bit more of a common sense approach there. You had mentioned when we first, start, when we first started talking about perfecting or, or improving ASHA's image with the SLPs. And yeah. I know you should never read the comments, but reading the comments of a Facebook page, there's people that love ASHA that will carry the flag until the day they retire. Right. And there are people that will fight ASHA over the simplest ideas. Right. Um, I remember the, the viral marketing video about re remind, or redoing your, renewing your dues. Yeah. And, and they there was, the national office. Yeah. And everyone, some people were like, this is great. Thank you for the reminder. And some people said, oh, this is the biggest waste of my dues. Why do I pay? Right. How do you see yourself reaching both the people that will carry the flag for you, no matter what, right? but also looping in those people that maybe don't see the value of the ASHA Cs, that don't see the value of, of paying that? And I guess I should say, full disclosure, as I just asked that question, ASHA tapped me for the power of the Cs ad campaign or something. So mm -hmm. if you Google my name, that is up there. But it's a legit question. How do you loop both the people that will carry the flag and the people that'll shoot the flag bearer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think part of the thing is you have to get to why people feel the way they do. And, um, you know, I, I read the comments as well. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times if you're, if you've had experience working on committees or things like that within ASHA, you really see how much ASHA does for the profession and for us as speech language pathologists and audiologists. However, I'm not sure that's always communicated in the best way. And, you know, I, I think they've gotten better about that. Um, but I, I don't know that people know where to see that at all the time, um, unless you're, you're plugged in. And, you know, so I, I really feel strongly that, you know, part of my mission if I win this election is to improve the communication with the membership. And I think this is the perfect position to do that with because it involves planning. And anything that involves planning, you have to know what issues people are facing and you know what issues the members feel are important. And so I would really try to do something where you know once a month, for example, we have Facebook chats or we, we, we go to different social media platforms and you know I can talk about what's going on and people can ask questions about you know, what, what issues they're facing and, and discuss those. Because I think you have to create a mechanism where people feel connected. 
And, you know, it, this goes back to the problem with the election, Matt, to be honest. And the election problem is that people don't vote. I, I mean, you, you look at the percentage of ASHA members who actually vote in the elections, it's something like 3 3%. And that's an incredibly low number because I think people feel disconnected and we have to work on getting better at that. And I'll be honest, I actually forgot the elections were coming up until I got the, until we started talking about who we wanted to interview as, as candidates. And I'm plugged in, I'm an ASHA seal. I'm plugged in. I'm doing the show, trying to come up with topics. And even then I was like, Oh, it opens up in about, uh, we're recording this on the 20th. This will go live next week. Uh, I believe elections open up the first week of March. Um, I think, oh, I'm sorry, April. Yeah, April. <laughs> I think it's the first week of April. But but yeah, it's first week of April. But um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, like, you know, you, you get a lot of reminders. And, and that's something that I don't think is Ash's fault because they send a ton of reminders during the election process. So I don't think it's an issue with people not knowing the elections are going on. I think it's people don't care. Fair. And they they don't feel connected to the candidates. And that's that's one of the things like, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to do now as a candidate by trying to get on as many of these as possible and, and do my own things to, to kind of get get to people and pull them in and, and find out what issues are important to people and, and talk about those um, to, to let people know where I stand as a candidate. And, and But I think that's something that if I'm elected that I really will try hard to do is, is to improve that line of communication so people do care and they feel like they're invested. I've got one more candidate question for you then I do want to get more get to know you questions. Okay. You work in you're an associate professor professor at Marshall University. Correct. How do you think that either helps you or gives you an advantage to know what for example I'm doing in home care or when I'm working in the school system? Do you think that gives you an advantage because you're working with the kids or I'm sorry, kids, young adults, uh, before they move out there? Or, or do you feel like that's a, a little bit of a hurdle? I think it can be both. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the reasons why I am trying to reach out to so many people is I need to know what the issues are in the trenches that I don't know about. And, you know, that that's a really important thing, I think, as a candidate to, to learn about. You can't go into something thinking that you know everything. Um, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you, my my clinical background was at a pediatric hospital. I worked at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh before I, I took my position at Marshall seven years ago. And so I'm very familiar with issues related to pediatric outpatient care, to hospital settings, to you know those things. But I'm really trying to work hard to find, for example, what issues people in um, nursing homes are facing or what, what issues people in schools are facing because I don't know that. And I can think I do, but I think it's better to hear that from people who are directly in those settings. Well, I can tell you that here in the state of Ohio, we have a case, our cap number of 80. And I started the year off with 115 students. So what happens if you have 115 (laughs) and you have a cap of 80? Um, So... Uh, I also sit as a as the OSLA schools rep, the Ohio Speech and Language Hearing Association schools rep. Uh-huh. So I have to word this very delicately. But if I were to go to the state, ODE, Ohio Department of Education, uh-huh. and I report who it is, they'll say very nicely, what's your name? What school district do you work in? They'll then call the superintendent of that school and say, hey, Matt Hot from your school called and said, 
you've he's got 115 students. He's only supposed to have 80. Why is there a difference? Superintendent says, oh, we couldn't hire enough people. We didn't have a good candidate. We had more people moved in, something. Right. ODE says, here's your waiver. Sign it. Don't let this happen again next year. And then I get a phone call from the superintendent saying, right. hey, why didn't you come to us first? Right. Um, luckily, I can say in my school district, I went to my super uh, supervisor, special ed supervisor, and said, hey, I've got 115 kids. Yeah. I need help. And instantly they got me down to about 75 to start the year off. But that's the process in Ohio. There's no, we feel there's no teeth in Ohio. Yeah. So let me ask you a question then. Yeah. Not to turn the interview tables here. <laughs> what, what do you feel like in this situation? Because this is a really good example of like as a candidate, something you need to know about. What do you think in this situation ASHA could do to help make this issue easier? Because I'm sure you're not the only state that experiences this. I know from, so I, I, I guess I have more insider information than the, the typical school-based SLP. Uh -huh. Because I know that we can call ASHA and they'll come with us to our uh, GAC, our Government Action Committee activity, right. and, and right. come with us to the state. But I think a lot of people don't know that that's even an option, that they don't know that they can get someone on the phone with ASHA. I mean, if I know I was just a regular school SLP that wasn't tuned in, I right. would say that I want to know what is, is Asher going to call my Senator for me? Will they write a letter in support of what we're trying to do at the state association? Will they show up if we invite them to the GAC? Right. I mean, that's what I would, would ask. And I kind of know some of those answers. Um, but I think that's what the, the basic SLP would be asking. So that's a really good point. I think that gets back to what we were talking about before is that, you know, I think a lot of people in that situation would say, what is ASHA doing to help us? And I'm not getting my money out of my dues, mm -hmm. but it's not that they're not doing anything. It's that they're not good about telling you what they're doing or what, what services are available to you. Because I think you're right. I think most people in the schools would not know that that's a possibility. Yeah. And, and that's so, why I felt bad answering that. I'm like, oh, I, I kind of know the answer. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think that's good because I think it, it shows that, like, you know, one of the things that if we're talking about planning, right, one of the things that, that we have to do better of is, is we have to do a better job of providing resources to people to let them know what it is we can help them with and, and getting that out there consistently in formats that people see. And, and let's be honest right now. I mean, we're in an age right now where more people probably read posts on social media than they do the ASHA leader. Agreed. And, and so, you know, that's the mechanism that we have to communicate with people on if, if that's the way, way people are understanding things. I mean, you know, if, if you look at, at how to get that message across, it's to, to get people where they're reading things at. I was going to say, I get the ASHA leader every time it comes to my house. I look at it quickly flip through to see if there's an article that's of any interest. Right. If there is, I may take the 10 minutes to read that article and then I move on my day. But if I'm trying to help my kids get to sleep or, you know, they're asleep and I'm just kind of sitting in the room, I might pull out my phone and scroll through. And then, you know, I'm seeing something from every organization. I'm not seeing the ASHA leader being posted. 
you know, one of the really cool things I think for Asha to look at doing would be, I, I don't know if you've ever used it before, but like at the convention, for ex example, they have that app. Yes. And if, if there was a, a way to move that app over to being like a full-time app where, you know, you, you could be sitting at your doctor's office in a waiting room and say, hey, I really want to look up stuff on caseload right now. Let me type that into the app and it pulls up, you know, all of the resources that are available. Now, certainly you can do that on the internet, but I think it, it, if it's an app, I think it, you feel like you're more connected to it. And I think you feel like you have a way of communicating with the app sometimes versus a website. Agreed. I, you got my vote now. So, <laughs> um, I, I know I said I only had one other question, but I just thought of this. You have complete control of ASHA. Somehow you take over all of ASHA. What's <laughs> one thing that you, you wish you could make an immediate change on? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, I, again, I go back to my, I think we got to do, do a better job of, of promoting ourselves and, and talking about what we do. You know, one of the interesting things I think is that ASHA does a really good job of telling stories of famous people who have communication disorders. Okay. So Gabby Giffords was a good, good mm -hmm. one. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a bunch of different examples out there. Um, but really, really good always at that kind of thing. But we don't do a very good job a lot of the time of telling the story of the average person who has a communication disorder. Sometimes the famous people card doesn't play as well with the general population though, because let's be honest, I mean, taking nothing away from Gabby Giffords or anybody else who is famous, they have resources that the everyday person doesn't have. True. And, and so, you know, like if, if I'm watching something or I'm seeing an article written about like how this famous person worked with a speech pathologist, I'm probably more interested in the famous person than I am the speech pathologist. But, but if it's like, hey, this is the normal third grader who we see with a language disorder in the schools and what an impact we've made on their life to the point where now they are you know, functioning as a middle schooler or high schooler and able to make friends and communicate that's the story that needs to be told and it needs to be told to the public repeatedly in different ways to be able to to highlight what we do because there's such opportunity there how many people go through their entire life where either themselves or a member of their family doesn't have a speech language feeding swallowing mm -hmm. or hearing disorder in some capacity i read uh, i heard an interesting stat the other day that only three percent of people who need a communication device have a communication device. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's a crazy <laughs> statistic. But yeah, no, just kind of like what you're saying, like I'm even thinking of the ashacertified.org, which is all about the power of the seas and the SLPs on there. Like I didn't even know that was a thing until they asked me to do it. And that's so, so who's that going to it, right? Who's going to that website? Exactly. That's the one that should be put on Facebook every day along with this. I love your idea. The story of the candidates or not yeah. candidates of our, our patients. Yeah. That's a wonderful idea. Like, because there's that Johnson and Johnson commercial where they show the nurse that gave the kid a communication device. That should be us. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the really thing, interesting thing about that is, you know, I think a lot of that it gets to recruitment to some degree mm -hmm. too. Like it gets to, you know, 
improving the professions. It, it gets to reimbursement issues. It also gets to making sure that you're getting good people who want to be speech language pathologists and talented people because people see that and they say, that's what I want to do. I want to go help somebody to be able to do that. And, and you know, if we're talking about long-term solving shortages and things like that, we have to start looking at ways to do that where we're bringing in good people consistently. So Craig, let's get to know you for a moment. Let's meet the candidate. Who sure. are you? <laughs> what, what kind of family do you have? Why did you become an SLP? Let, let's start with those big three ones. Okay, so uh, let, let's start with the, the, big, the SLP one, because I guess we'll work backwards from there, since that, <laughs> that happened first before the family and everything else. <laughs> um, so it, very, really interesting for me, I went to the University of Pittsburgh um, with, for bachelor's degree and master's degree. I'm from Pittsburgh originally, um, and I started off in pre-med. And um, then I ran into organic chemistry, and I said, I don't really like this that much. <laughs> And, and so, um, you know, I just started looking at some other health-related professions and, and kind of getting a feel for what I wanted to do. And um, I took a couple of classes in speech pathology late in my sophomore year, I think. And um, the rest was kind of history after that. I mean, I just got more and more into it and, and really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the coursework. I, I enjoyed, um, I, I really, as I got to do clinic things, like whether that was observing as an undergrad or doing clinic work as a grad student, I mean, that, that was really a, a catch for me. I mean, that was sort of like, yeah, this is what I'm meant to do. Um, and then, you know, I, I started working at Children's Hospital right after I graduated, and, and I kind of wasn't that interested in stuttering when I first started, <laughs> and um, kind of got thrown into that a little bit. And um, again, it just sort of happened where I got more and more into it, and um, you know, I, I kind of went on from there. I, it, it, I, I really enjoy working with people who stutter because of the counseling component that's involved. It's not just sitting down and doing some drill work here and there. Um, you know, there's everybody has a story to tell, and everybody's story is very different. Um, so it, it really kind of interested me to get more and more involved in it, and I uh, really enjoyed the counseling aspect. And I, and I feel like I learned a lot, and this can bridge the gap, um, I feel like I learned a lot as a um, as a person in working with people who stutter and learned a lot of good lessons really early on in my young career about um, how it's really important to, to be who you are and and not really care so much what other people think because you know I, I, here I am working with all these people and a lot of them are trying to do whatever they can do not to stutter. But, right. but there are people who stutter. And so a lot of what we were working on was, you know, okay, yes, we can learn strategies and techniques, but part of it is this is who you are and you have to be okay with that. And, and so I think that that really helped to shape me as a, as a professional and as a, as a person. And I also think it helped me to be a, a strong advocate for people. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of professionally got going for a few years and, um, then uh, I had a, an opportunity to run for uh, ASHA Legislative Council back when there was such a thing as ASHA <laughs> Legislative Council. Um, so I was, um, I don't know, only four years out of school, I think, when, when I did that. And I, I looked at the list of candidates that year and I said, there's no way I'm going to win this election uh, <laughs> in, in Pennsylvania. And then uh, I ended up winning. Um, 
And I think largely that was because I personally sent an email to every person in Pennsylvania who was an ASHA member and kind of <laughs> explained why I wanted to run and, you know, what I hope to do in the position and bring better communication to the members of Pennsylvania on what ASHA was doing. Um, so I, I, I won and I made it a point to, to do that. And then um, right around that time, I also had uh, an opportunity right at the end of that, that term, I guess this would have been 2006, 2007, uh, the Legislative Council was kind of uh, sunsetting because uh, there was a change in, in the way the system was being set up to move toward the advisory councils at that point and to sunset the uh, Legislative Council. And so, you know, for me, it was sort of like, do you want to run for this again? Um, and, and I had really become in that three years connected with people in Pennsylvania because I, I really had made it sort of my mission to communicate with them. And so somebody approached me and said, you know, look, a lot of stuff is happening at the state level in Pennsylvania. Um, and it was actually Shari Robertson, who is currently the ASHA president mm -hmm. right now. Um, she had been the president of the Pennsylvania Speech Language Hearing Association at the time, and she's, uh, you know, a lot of important stuff is happening in Pennsylvania right now, and we're going through this process where we're going to begin to uh, redo the licensure law, and, you know, we really feel like it would be a, a good idea for you to run for president. And I said, you know, I, I think I've done what I set out to do in the three years that, that I wanted to be on the Legislative Council. My term was ending, and so I, I agreed to do that. And then a week later, I found out that my oldest son was going to be born. <laughs> and I thought, what have I gotten myself into here? <laughs> um, but, it, but the timing worked out really well. Um, so, yeah, that kind of plays into the, the personal aspect. I have a 12-year-old and a, a, one who will be 10 in May. Um, and um, so I, I went through my term as president the first time we, we, in Pennsylvania. We, we accomplished a lot in moving the bill forward to do the licensure rewrite, but we weren't quite there yet. Um, and so um, my term had ended and I, you know, I had kind of gone to do some other things and, and for about a year. And then I got a call again saying, you know, we really need you to come back for a second term because we're, we're, we're close now to getting this done, but we need, we need somebody with experience. So, um, I agreed to come back for a second term, and um, eventually we, we got the bill passed um, and, and got it done. Um, and then right as I was kind of in the middle of my second term, I had the opportunity to go to Marshall. Um, so I, I actually finished my second term as president of Pennsylvania while I was working in, at Marshall. In West oh, really? Virginia. Yep. <laughs> So I went back and forth a lot uh, in, in that year and a half period of still being on the PA board and, and doing that. And, um, but, but it worked out really well. And I, and, you know, I, I think I've, I've tried as I've gone through this process, I've really even tried to, to with my, my sons who are old enough now to kind of recognize what's going on, you know, to, to kind of um, involve them in this process a little bit to some degree and, and say, you know, Hey, I'm running for this position now. Um, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, they, they kind of think I'm running for vice president of the country. So they kind of think it's a big deal. Um, but, but uh, for example, our, our teachers were on strike in, in West Virginia last year. And then this just happened again with another issue over the last week here. And so I, I told them uh, yesterday when they were off school for the first day, I said, okay, 
you're gonna, you guys are going to be out of school. I said, but you're going to write an essay on why education is important and why wow. it's important to support the teachers. Um, so, so they've, they've kind of gone through this process with me a little bit, and I think we'll do that over the next couple of months and have learned a little bit about the political system and, and things like that. Um, in my free time, I, I coach a lot of sports with them, um, mainly baseball. I was going to say, I was just creeping on your Facebook page and saw there was a league championship or something. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I've been really lucky with them. Be be between both of them, they've actually won four district championships wow. um, that, I've, that I've coached them with. Um, my older son's won two and my younger son's won two. And um, last year, they both made it to within uh, one game of winning a state title. Oh, my gosh. So um, they'll have, I think, some excitement this year to look forward to, and um, it'll be it'll be a fun experience again. I, I give you credit. I had to coach my son's t-ball team this year, and I coach high school bowling. So yeah. I, I like bowling. I like coaching, but I, I coach high school bowling, and I had to coach t-ball this year, and I was just like, oh, oh no, what did I get myself into? <laughs> T-ball is kind of a different animal than anything else because I, I I went through T-ball with both of my sons and you just hope somebody doesn't get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember with my my second son because I had gone through it with my older one and and my second son was playing his first practice of doing T-ball and I had a guy helping me who I didn't think had much experience at the time and and he said something like hey, should we teach him how to turn a double play? <laughs> I said, you know what? I said, if they don't pick the weeds, I'll be happy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Stop eating the dirt. Yeah, if they eat the dirt, end up in the hospital, <sighs> we're good. Forget the double play. <laughs> so I, I also see that you're a Steelers fan. Yeah, although that pains me a little bit right now. <laughs> I was going to say, if you are – in charge of Asha and the Steelers, what do you do with Antonio Brown? I trade him for a first round pick if I can. <laughs> now, do you find being a professor down at Marshall, is it, I've never been to Marshall. I went to school in Appalachia, uh, Ohio, Muskingum. Yeah. I went to Ohio University. I grew up in Cincinnati. Okay. There is a difference between being considered city versus right. being rural right do you and my wife actually grew up just south of pittsburgh out in uh houston pa which is near washington PA. yeah sure i know where, that is. where that's at do you see is it is there any is it difficult coming from like the city to to connect with students in the rural area or is it you know now that everyone's on facebook does it even matter that's a good question um you know i i think that it there's, there's some unique challenges about it and you have to be, I think the challenges are not so much challenges, but you just, there's more things that you have to be aware of. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just, you know, personal experiences at times. Um, and, you know, sometimes for me, I have to remember, see, I, I went to my experience in high school and was, I, I went to a, a very large school in Pittsburgh that was very diverse um, because we, we had um, about, nine school districts that merged into one when I was in middle school. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, you had, I mean, the, the spectrum in every socioeconomic way. Um, so it, it was a very diverse experience. And sometimes for me, I have to just check myself to remind myself that sometimes people coming from certain areas don't have that experience to pull back on. 
And that's something that we have to work on, you know, at, at the college level is, is ensuring they get that because they're going to go work with people who have diversity. Well, Craig, we have kept you for almost 40 minutes. This is an awesome interview, but I do want to wrap it up, unfortunately. Sure, sure, yeah. What did we not touch on that you want to get out there to everyone that's on the fence, either about voting or, or who to vote for? You know, number one, let me just say... In the ASHA elections. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I guess I have to keep it to that uh, perspective, right? Um, Number one, I'll just say, you know, like, obviously, I would love if everybody voted for me, but whether or not you vote for me or not, I would just encourage everybody to take the time to get to know the candidates and to to vote, Um, you know, because there are similarities I think between people but I also think there are some differences in in how everybody would go about doing things and I think you know that's important to know going into casting a vote to to say who you want representing you Um, I don't think there are bad choices with the slate of candidates that we have Um, but but I do think that you you have an opportunity to get to know candidates and, and to become engaged in the process so I would really hope that everybody would do that and uh, get engaged in the process. Um, I think, you know, f- for me individually, I am really, really trying to make this about better communication. And and that's the, the, the two main areas that I really would like us to improve on are communicating better with the membership so that the, the membership is more engaged. Not just that they feel more engaged, but they actually are more engaged. Um, and, and I think the other thing is making sure that we're doing things to get our brand out there so people recognize the great work that is going on every day, not just by the people who have certain degrees or teach at universities or you know can become specialists, but but people who are doing clinical practice everywhere every day because you know that's the, the stories that we need to be telling. That's awesome. Craig, thank you so much for joining us here on Speech Science. Hey Matt, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Michael McLeod. What's up? And Michelle Wintering. Hi, guys. Always nice to have someone running for an office in our field on our air. Uh, that was Craig Coleman uh, running for vice president of planning. Uh, he's running against Kathy Kufel, Kofel and Yvette uh, Heider. I've reached out to them via Facebook and have extended uh, an offer for them to come on air as well to kind of give their ideas or their platform or what they would like to see for, for ASHA from the planning. Um, I guess quickly, uh, ASHA elections are coming up April 16th. They'll run until May 29th. And you'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but we extend that same offer to President uh, Alex Howard Goldstein, Luis uh, Rickleman, or A. Lynn Williams, or Vice President for Academic Affairs, or anyone running for Vice President for Standards and Ethics and Speech Language Pathology. We'd love to have you uh, on the air and just kind of discuss what's going on. Reach out to your consti- your future constituent. Consti- Ah, the people you're representing. (laughs) (laughs) Constituents. There we go. I said the word. Yeah. Speech therapist. Well done. All right. What's coming up for this week for you guys? Not too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was, that was wonderful this week. I've got, more therapy that's about it i need to redo all my scheduling again because 
Uh, I'm trying to, I don't know about you guys, but like as my schedule gets smaller instead of, or shorter or like less students to see, instead of enjoying the free time, I just find ways to hide myself in one of my multiple handicap rooms and work with my students there because they're my favorites. <laughs> It is good to be around those kids we love. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, next week I'm excited because we've got another interview coming up next week. Wait, what were you waving to? I just said yeah. Oh, I thought you were waving. <laughs> I was like, I am. He was raising the roof. So confused. Raising the roof. Yeah, another interview. Oh, uh, yeah. No, next week it's uh, Tina. Eichstadt. Uh, she is a senior product manager for Pearson Clinical Assessment. Uh, we talk, I talked a little bit with her about how uh, assessments are made and why we choose the ones we choose. And it's super interesting that it all comes down to where you went to grad school. So it's kind of cool. That does sound cool. <laughs> I might actually listen to an episode. Oh, man, you got to listen to all the episodes. Our intro music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is The Spellbreaker by Tritachion. It's licensed under an attribution license. And our closing music is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, who will be at my presentation at Osla next week. Um, says to be a willow because in a storm the mighty oak will crack but the willow will bend and come back to form for Michelle Wintering Michael McLeod I'm Matt Hot saying see you next week so long everybody you gonna dance your way out of it Matt I'm dancing to the music yay <laughs> well done <laughs> good show guys this has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.